Well, please be seated. Happy New Year. Um, I would like to ask the ushers to come forward and to take our offering. While they're doing that, I want to give you some brief announcements. If you'll take out your update, you'll notice that in two weeks, Grace 101 is taking place. Grace 101 is our new members class. The information about that is on the update. Uh, Grace students uh, starts back up tonight at 4.30 um, and, uh, and also Wednesday then, also at 6.30. Uh, and we have a lot of Bible studies starting in January. Cindy Plumley's class is starting. Ed Schmidt's class is starting. And we have Every Woman a Disciple starting. And uh, I also want to encourage you about the welcoming. The welcoming is a once-a-month worship experience that we have. Currently meeting out in the worship, um, out in the, the youth building outside. And uh, it is a great, intimate worship event where we love to be in the presence of God and just enjoy an intimate time of worship. We have a spiritual formation class that is forming on January 14th led by Garrett Vogel. So more information is available about that in the updates. Now we've been talking about uh, a new venture in women's ministry so I want to ask my team to come forward and we want to talk about what's coming up with, uh, with the women's ministry. We're going to share some microphones here. Emily, we're going to start with you. Uh, the women's ministry has been refreshed. Tell us about it. Yeah, so um, as we talked about the vision that we have and our hopes and dreams for the women's ministry, the name The Well kept coming up over and over um, for several reasons. First, we know you've shared with us that the well was a gathering place for the women of the ancient world. They met there, had community with each other at a time when being a woman was incredibly difficult. Um, and our hope is that we would create a place where the women of grace could similarly have that time of community and connection with each other because it's still hard to be a woman sometimes, so we need each other in that. Um, but beyond that, when we looked at the Bible we saw God meeting women at the well in a couple different places. Um, in Genesis, Hagar um, flees Sarai, and God meets her at a well to give her promises about her life. Um, and then, again, God meets her at a well to save her and her son's lives um, when they're about to die. Um, and then fast forward to the New Testament in John 4, the familiar story that we all know of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. So our goal and our vision is that um, women would meet that powerful transformation through a deeper relationship with Christ, the living water. Um, and we see that in these stories, that he breaks into their experience, meets them in the midst of the mess and the chaos to offer himself. Um, and so our hope is that the well would be that, but also that we would have that support and discipleship and connection through deeper relationships with each other. So that's Now, the, the, the vehicle for that is this thing called the table. Yeah. And, uh, and there's, a, there's a little example of it up here, but Robin, tell us about, about how that's going to work. Yes, we are so excited to tell um, all you women here at Grace about the well table. It's finally January. I get to tell you about you it. You wouldn't tell me about that in I December. I know, but I get to now. <laughs> I pressed you. You um, wouldn't do it. <laughs> the well table is a place where the women of Grace can come together in homes, meet around the table, share a meal, and meaningful conversation. It's a place where we can get to know one another. We can share our lives and what God is teaching us. We learn in the book of Acts where the early church regularly met together in the synagogues and they studied God's word, but they also met regularly in each other's homes where they broke bread, where they 
knew each other, where they were able to encourage one another, where they were fervently praying for one another. So the well table is a place where we would like to be able to do that. One of my experiences at the well table was um, we were talking about forgiveness. And the women around the table were able to share just some of the challenges that that brings. You know, sometimes forgiving is hard. And we, we were able to talk about what we were learning, what God's word had to say about it. And I came away so refreshed and encouraged by that. I also came away from the table knowing people better. I have sat at Grace Community Church for many years. I see your beautiful faces and wish, ah, I wish I got to know that woman. I, I don't know her. And year after year, I still don't know her. And so I came away from that table knowing some women a lot better. So the way it will work is, um, if you choose to sign up, we're going to be having women meeting at homes, six women around the table, sharing a meal, talking about four questions that pertain to important things in our lives. Those questions will change every time that we meet. We will meet for two hours, about 6.30 to 8.30, for one night a week, I mean, one night a month. And it will be the fourth Tuesday of the month. And we will begin January, go through February, March, April. We'll break for the summer. We plan to meet again in the fall with a whole new group. So you'll have an opportunity to sign up then as well. So we hope that you will come pull up a chair and join us. Lisa, you had a, a pretty fantastic experience. Um, tell us what that was like when you, when you first came. Okay, well, the first time that I um, joined the table, I was, um, had a lot of anxiety. Uh, I was invited over to a woman's home who I didn't know very well, and um, I knew that when I got there, there was going to be another half dozen women that I did not know at all, and so that was a little, a lot intimidating to me. And um, but I knew I had to show up because I had volunteered to cater the meal that evening, and so I definitely <laughs> had to show up. Um, but then as I was driving over there, God shows up like he always does, and he gave me um, the scripture from 2 Timothy 1.7, where he did not give us a spirit that makes us timid, but gives us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. So that encouraged me to overcome my fears and um, to continue that drive and to walk through the door. And when I got there, um, it wasn't nearly as frightening as what I had placed in my head. And um, the women became, began to introduce themselves to me and um, someone blessed the food. We sat down and we had amazing conversation for two hours. Um, we prayed together, and then when I left, I no longer knew these women as strangers, but began to know them as friends. Um, so this ministry means a lot to me, uh, just to connect with women um, in this church and to feel like I'm part of a community um, that supports one another and cares for one another. Um, 1 Thessalonians tells us, tells us that we are to encourage one another and um, lift one another up. Um, I've experienced this myself um, on kind of an individual basis over the last year. I began to meet with a woman from Grace um, to disciple me, and uh, we meet routinely and um, usually over a meal, just the two of us. And uh, we sit and talk. Uh, she has 
lived life longer than I have. She's been married much longer than I have and parented much longer. And she has just offered me a lot of encouragement. We pray together. We've sought scriptures together. And it's just meant so much to me um, for her to be a part of my life, to lift me up and pray for me during life's ups and downs. Um, And I feel like the well, that's just a small glimpse of what the well ministry can offer to women here at Grace. Um, Just give you, give all of us um, community, fellowship, and um, friendship, and just the sharing of faith and what it's doing in in our lives. Now, um, you're going to hear a lot more about this in the next uh, several weeks, but how can we sign up today? There's several ways we can do that. One way is on our website. Yes, we do. If you go to the GCC website, there's a tab for women's ministries. Click on that. There is a, a link, I believe, or a the tab a, is a tab. ministries, and then women's ministry underneath that. Right. Yep. So that's one way. Second yes. way is we have iPads out in the auditorium mm-hmm. uh, that I think uh, Mike Sorensen is is working with. Who can sign up through the iPad today in today in the atrium. Right. And there's the old-fashioned way. Well, we've got some invitations for you all. There's a table um, out in the middle of the atrium. It has these invitations. We would love for you to grab one. It's got some of the information on there that we've talked about. It has the dates on there. Um, and so you, if you want to sign up, just put your name, your email, your phone number, tear off the tab, leave it there on the table, and uh, you can sign up that way. If you gave us your email back in November, December, you should be getting an email from us that will have a link on it that will direct you to the GCC website. So there's multiple ways. Facebook, our Facebook page has mm-hmm. a link as well. So, you know, you can go out there and sign up. Uh, two places where Mike is, um, yep. a small group table, and then yep. we have our own table yep. where you can find these. Good. So please pull up a chair <laughs> and join us. Thank you. Thank you very yep. much. Thank you. At this point, I'd like to ask the ushers to come. Have the ushers taken the offering? Yes, they have. Very good. Thank you. Wasn't paying attention. Sorry. But you have to pay attention. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's, uh, let's open up to 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're, gonna, we're going to do a mini-series before we tangle back into the Gospel of John. And the mini-series is going to be called Living in the Supernatural. It's going to be sort of our vision series for the year uh, 2018. And I'm really excited about, about this series, and it, it's really based upon a passage that I alluded to a little while ago. This is 2 Corinthians 3.18. I'm going to read this very slowly, and you'll hear it multiple times today. But here's the, here, here's the passage. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, and all this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. I have uh, meditated on this verse a lot recently, and this verse is packed with rich information about how we grow spiritually and about God's vision for our life in Christ. And I want to unfold that this morning, talking about His vision for you over the coming year, 2018, and his vision for the church over the coming year, 2018. And I want to start <coughs> by uh, taking you back to the late 1800s, 1897. And I want you to imagine that you are a member of the first expeditionary, uh, first modern expedition to Antarctica. 
aren't you glad you weren't part of that expedition? There's the ship. It is frozen in the water, and they've banked up snow so you can get on and off the ship while it's banked into the water. Now, why was it so bad to be in Antarctica in those days? Well, the reason why is because once you got below what's called the Horn of South America, rounding the horn, they called it, you were in the Southern Ocean in a place called the, the, um, the Furious 40s, uh, the Roaring Fifties, the Furious Sixties, it's, it, it was, uh, I didn't quite get that right. It's the, let me read it, because it's, it's the Roaring Forties, the Furious Fifties, and the Screaming Sixties. Those are the parallels below South America, and they're completely unobstructed by land, so you get this circular motion of storms. Here's an example of what the storms look like. I don't want to sail in a storm like that. I don't want to be in a sailboat in a storm like that. I would rather be by my fire reading C.S. Lewis than be in a sailboat like that. Here's another sailboat that, uh, you know, do you want to sail in a place like that? I don't want to sail in a place like that. Uh, here's a container ship sailing in a, uh, motoring in a place like this. This was a difficult place to be. And if you were there in 1897, you were cold, you were wet, you were miserable. And the only way you could, you could get around was through this thing called a sextant, where you would, you would take a visual picture of the sun and the horizon, use mathematical tables, figure out where you were, and go, th go that proper direction. Uh, problem was you never saw the sun. You never knew where you were. No wonder that people died and ships sank. So fast forward to today. If you want to go to Antarctica today, you Google Antarctic cruises. And thousands of websites come up. Thousands. And on the websites, you can hike up on glaciers in Antarctica. You can hang out with seals and penguins. Cost you about $8,000. A lot of people are doing that. What changed from 1897 to the year 2017? What changed? One thing. One thing changed, and that is the GPS. With the GPS, you can know exactly where you are anywhere in the world. You know what the chart says. You know what the bottom of the ocean is like. You can sail confidently to that place. GPS has transformed sailing. Now, I will tell you that the transformation the GPS has brought to sailing is a lot like the zillions of other transformations that you have encountered in your life. This year, your life probably, oh, I'll say last year, 2016, 2017, your life was transformed by some new gadget. How many of you got an iWatch and think, I can't live without this thing. What did I do before the iWatch? What did I do before my cell phone? What did I do before my smartphone, my phone with screens? It's transformed your life, sometimes for better, sometimes for worse. But we're living in an age where transformations in electronic technology have, have done things to telecommunications and videography and surgery 
and other fields that are, are mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And I, I think that is a picture of our relationship with Jesus. Because what God wants in your life is that you would encounter a series of transformations. Not like one in the 1980s and one in the 1990s and one in the 2000s and one in the 2010 through 20. But you would encounter a series of transformations every year. That God would be working on an area of your life that is in the process of being transformed. Same thing is true with the church. You know, it's God's desire that churches encounter a series of transformations that take them to new places. So I want to I spell out the vision for transformation and, and how, it, how it works. Here's the vision. The Holy Spirit's passion from 2 Corinthians 3.18 is your continuous transformation. Again, here's the, here's the verse. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So what I want to do is I want to I pick this verse apart. Let's just pretend that we're going into a machine shop and we got an engine up on the screens and we're going to tear apart the engine. We're going to think about 2 Corinthians 3.18 like an engine. We're going to tear it apart and then we're going to put it back together again. So we're going to tear apart the engine and we start with a central word, transformation. Transformation. It's the term metamorphosis. That's an, a term we use all the time. Maybe not all the time. We use it a lot. Metamorphosis. To be metamorphosed means that you are changed on the inside, and that internal change is manifested externally on the outside. To be metamorphosed means to change internally with results that are seen visually externally. Here's the, here's the big transformation that took place in our lives. Many of you have heard me say this before. In 2004, our family went through a series of really tough, difficult things. It was just a hard year. It was a joyful year in some ways. It was a hard year in some other ways, a tough year. That was the year that Cindy was led to start Celebrate Recovery. And... Um, I quickly realized, having gone out to the summit, the CR summit, that if I was going to ask members of our church to go through Celebrate Recovery, that I would need to go through it myself, get a sponsor, work the steps. So Cindy and I began to do this separately. She worked the steps for things that she was dealing with. I didn't think I had any issues. I mean, I was in such denial, I seriously thought, I mean, what do I deal with? I mean, I got some minor things, you know, Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I've repented of that many times. I started working on the things that I saw to be my issues. And we began to work the 12 steps of recovery separately, but at the same time. Within a span of 24 months, something totally unexpected took place. Really unexpected. And the, the crux of it was this. The culture of our marriage changed. You know, every marriage has a culture. Every family has a culture. Those cultures can be good or bad, and most of us 
are unaware of the cultures of our relationships or marriages or friendships or families. The culture of our marriage significantly began to change. Cindy and I were very, very competitive with each other. And uh, that began to change. Uh, I stopped putting pressure on her in certain areas. She stopped putting pressure on me in certain areas. There was a grace that entered into our marriage. Our culture became one of gifting presents to each other, not birthday presents, things like that, but the gift of presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. It became one of gifting presence as opposed to in imposing demands upon each other. The culture changed dramatically. One day, after several years into the change, I'm in the workroom at Grace Community Church, and one of our staff members who's not in our church anymore, not who was moved with her husband, said to me, so let me ask you a question. She was invoking the rock star prince. What happened to the pastor formerly known as Rod? Remember how Prince, you know, dropped his name and took a symbol, you know? And she said, all right, so what happened to the pastor formerly known as Rod? I said, what what do you mean? She said, you have changed. Cindy has changed. And I, I said, really? Tell me about those changes because I was in the midst of it, not seeing it like I had thought that, I might. And we had a gratifyingly honest conversation about the things that this staff person was seeing. That same year, our kids came to us, all four of them, and said, separately, and said, what's happening with you guys? Like, what changed? What's different with you? One day, my youngest son was on the phone with me. He was about 20 years old at the time, and he said, you know, Dad, I really think I'm beginning to like you again. (laughs) I said, "Uh, thanks, I think. He says, no, seriously. He says, seriously, I really like hanging out with you. It was a transformation. What I'm saying is transformations are inward changes that get manifested in an external way. That's what that term means. Now, you can go through big transformations, and that that was a big one for us. Or you can go through smaller transformations. What I'm saying to you is God's vision is that you would continuously be in a place of some level of transformation. So remember, we're we're picking apart the engine. We've looked at the word. Now we look at how the transformation happens. Remember, but we all... But we all, um, and he talks about beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. How does the transformation happen? We all with unveiled face, here's the key phrase, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. The way transformation happens is through a combination of word and spirit. So let's break apart the phrase beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That term, beholding as in a mirror, means to contemplate something in a mirror. What are we contemplating? If you stand in front of a mirror, you're seeing your own image, right? Now, why would you do that? Let's say you're going to to a, a graduation, a wedding, 
and you think, okay, I need to look in the mirror to see if I'm put together. How's my, how does my tie look? How does my hair look? I never ask that question, but some I'm told do. Uh, is there anything I need to change about, about my appearance? You look in the mirror in order to make changes. But this is a very complicated picture because I'm looking at the mirror, I'm seeing Jesus, and what I'm realizing is in seeing Jesus, I need to make some changes so that I'm like Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. I'm beholding as in a mirror, yes, my face, I'm seeing Jesus' face, I'm realizing I need to make some changes as I see Jesus' face reflected back to me in the mirror. That is a spiritual discipline. Now, <clears throat> I won't tell you which one that is because 1 Corinthians 3.18 doesn't tell you which one that is. The Bible does not give us an official list of spiritual disciplines. Aren't you glad the Bible doesn't do that? Because we would treat those as laws. So the Bible tells us that we should do them but doesn't tell us what they are because they may be different at different times of our life. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord is the description of a spiritual discipline where you look toward Jesus on a regular basis to make changes in your life. That could come through prayer, time in the Word, journaling, solitude, silence. It could come through fellowship. It could come through a, a whole variety of means. For Cindy and I, during that, those critical years, it came from working the 12 steps of recovery, which are very biblically grounded, but beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord refers to doing certain spiritual disciplines that make you more like Jesus. However, there's, a, there's another side to that, okay? Because it says all this is through the Lord who is the Spirit. If you do spiritual disciplines apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, those spiritual disciplines are not going to be effective. Think about the engine. You can have a very powerful engine. But what happens if you have no fuel in the engine? Nothing. It doesn't work. You can have a fantastic engine, the best made by Rolls-Royce or Honda or Chevrolet or you name the company. If you don't have fuel in that engine, that engine doesn't do anything. You can have the greatest spiritual disciplines in the world and apart from the Holy Spirit, those disciplines are not going to be effective in transforming you. Conversely, you can enjoy the fullness of the Spirit, but if you don't have disciplines that direct that fullness, you're not going to experience the transformation you seek. You have to have the disciplines and the Spirit together at the same time. I know a lot of believers who are great in the spiritual disciplines and who are neglectful of the Spirit. That's not going to produce transformation. I know a lot of people who are passionately pursuing the Spirit have zero spiritual disciplines and their lives are very erratic. It's not going to produce the transformations. Transformations happen in a balance of discipline and devotion, Word and the Spirit together. But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That's the, that's the discipline part. All this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's the devotion part. Those two things work together. There's a human side, disciplines, there's a divine side, there's the Spirit. Okay, now we're breaking apart the engine. Now we ask another question. 
What role does the body of Christ play in the process? Notice how he begins this, but we all. I've said this before, we don't have, we don't have plurals like this in the English language, you know, unless you live in the South and it's y'all, you know, or in the North it's yous or used guys. Um, but we all, he says, what's he referring to? He's referring to the body of Christ. But we all, living authentically with unveiled face, but we all, the body of Christ is crucial for transformation. Uh, my son Jared um, is, loves to solve problems and take risks. And one day we're in North Africa with him and he says, all right, Dad, we're going to uh, break apart the, iP- the iPhone, my iPhone, and I'm going to repair uh, a portion of the battery. Can you even do that? That's my, that's my response. Can, can you do that? Yes, Dad, you can. All right. Um, all right, let's do it. So um, I held the instructions while I was also looking at YouTube. YouTube, you can learn anything. And he began to take this, take this thing apart. We got this thing completely broken down, parts strewn all over the place that I could barely see. And we get it all apart, and he says, all right, Dad, I'm a little nervous about this. I'm not sure we could get this whole thing back together. And I said, look, I've seen you do the whole, I know we can get it back together. And here I'm encouraging him. We're doing this as a team. We're doing this in community. We're doing this as friends. We're doing this father and son. And the joy that I had doing it together with him and the confidence that he had me giving encouragement to him made the process really fun. What did he have at the end? A transformed iPhone. iPhones are insanely expensive in North Africa. You just can't get them. He had a transformed iPhone. And so we did it in community. If you're going to experience transformation, it's got to happen in community. You know, the Pew Research does all these studies on on a new group of people uh, called the nuns, N-O-N-E-S. What Pew Research says is that the nuns have dropped out of traditional church and um, they, they like Jesus, they don't like the traditional church. So a lot of the nuns are actually coalescing into small groups that are affiliated with some church, just that doesn't show up on the, on the radar screen when those surveys are being done. So those nuns are saying, we value community. What I'm, what I'm saying is that whether you are in a local church, whether you're in a small group, whether you're in a house church, whether you are on an internet-based campus in a church, community is the only way transformation takes place. That's why the thing that I'm very passionate about at Grace over the course of this coming year is that we become a powerful, strong community that encounters God in the presence of our community, the body of Christ. Let me give you another example. Um, I'm in college, first semester. My good friend from high school is two years younger than I am, so I'm, I'm a, I was a junior at SMU. He comes as a freshman. And uh, I disciple 
this friend of mine. His name is Hoyt Brown. Disciple him for one semester. And uh, Hoyt and I were roommates my senior year and lost touch with him for three decades. It's hard even for me to say that. Three decades, lost touch with him. Turns out, today, he's a pastor in upstate New York, uh, living about half an hour from where I was born. And Hoyt texted me one day, and he said, uh, Rod, just want to let you know, you made the sermon. I said, really? <laughs> Tell me. So he, here's, here's what Hoyt said. Here's, here's a picture of Hoyt. He said this, I would not be here today if it were not for all those saints who put up with me in Sunday school and told me the stories about Jesus and taught me in college in a college religion class and guided me when I was confused and put their arm around me when I wanted to give up. I'm thinking of a multitude that I could not possibly name today, Wynn Couchman, Greg and Eric Jones, Rod McElvain, and on and on. Now, I really appreciated what Hoyt said. But, you know, the thing is, you have no idea what your presence in a small group, in the main service at Grace Community Church, in a one-on-one -on -one discipleship relationship has on people. It has a powerful impact on people. You heard what Lisa Kelly said up here a little while ago. That relationship had a power, powerful impact on her. There is no authentic transformation apart from the body of Christ. Now, we're still looking at the engine, and the next question we need to ask is, what should I expect if I'm being transformed? Well, here's the next phrase. He talks about going from one degree of glory to another. One degree of glory to another. I don't know if you've heard this term, but there's a term out there called habit stacking. Habit stacking. Habit stacking occurs when you want to change a habit in your life, and so you start with a very, very small habit, and you, you start with that habit, and then you stack habits on top of habits. So... Um, Habit stacking is a way to encounter transformation. I'll give you, give you a, a little example. I have a pull-up bar in my house, and Cindy doesn't particularly like it in the house, so she takes it down and puts it, puts it away. With her permission, I put it up in the bedroom that I have to go by in order to get to our bedroom. And my commitment was, every time I walk by the pull-up bar, I'm going to do at least one pull-up, if not more. And what I've, what I've realized is, you know, it's not that hard for me to do one pull-up, but what I, what I realized is that the more I would do that, the more I could do other things as well. That habit became a gateway to other habits. People often talk about that when they talk about forms of exercise, maybe changing the, the way that they eat, maybe changing a relationship. Habit stacking is a way of growing a new set of habits. You start with something very small. Well, Paul is talking about a similar thing here. He's talking about going from one area of transformation to another area of transformation. When Cindy and I went through our transformation in our marriage as a result of Celebrate Recovery, that, that transformation impacted a transformation in the lives of our kids as well. One degree of glory to another, one transformation to another. God's vision for you this year is not that you would say, oh, great, 
I've now arrived at a place of spiritual growth and I'm just going to slack off for a while. I'm just going to slack off for a while. I'm good. I'm good. Don't need to worry about anything. His desire is that you would think, okay, well, what, what's next for me? What, what might God have for me to do this year in my marriage? What might he have for me to do this year with my adult children, with my grandchildren, with my little toddler son? What would he have for me? One degree of glory to another. He wants that for us. We should be in the habit of weaving these into our, our lives. So let's, let's put this together. What's the vision of 2 Corinthians 3.18 for transformation? It's this, that you would encounter a series of transformations, that those transformations would come through the Word and the Spirit, discipline and devotion, and that you would go from one level of growth to another. That's the, that's the concise vision. So quick some quick applications before I give you another illustration. Pick a set of disciplines that are relevant to you at this season of your life. I've picked a few for 2018, for the first three months of 2018. I've picked a few. Pick a few for you that are going to be relevant for you for the first three months of 2018. Which ones would you pick? Because that's where it starts. It starts with doing things in dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Spirit you start with that. Pray for a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit. All this comes through the Lord who is the Spirit. The, with the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So seek a fresh encounter with the Holy Spirit as you engage in whatever disciplines you are led to. And pay closer attention to the body of Christ. There's no transformation without meaningful, meaningful activity within the body of Christ. Now, let me switch gears, and let me give you an example of somebody who was transformed. <coughs> Holy Spirit did a remarkable transformation in the life of the apostle Peter. Um, think about this for a second. Peter is a businessman whose birthplace was Bethsaida, and he went to the more prosperous place of Capernaum. He was a very prosperous businessman. And he apparently owned a fleet of ships. Historians speculate about the possibility that he sold salted fish in the markets in Jerusalem. have no idea if that's true or not. But this guy was a very gifted entrepreneur owning a midsize business. Now, the thing with Peter is that Peter's strength was also his weakness because Peter was an erratic leader. He was like he had ADD. He would go off in one direction, then he would go off in another direction. He was a guy who could lead well in one context, but be jealous and competitive in another context. He was a guy who sometimes wanted to manage Jesus. Jesus, let me tell you something. I'm not going to let you go to the cross. No, no, it's not going to happen to you. I know you're going to tell us to pick up my cross and follow you. We're going, to, we're going to shield you and protect you from this, Matthew 16. He was that kind of a guy, bull in a china shop kind of a guy. At the Last Supper, the disciples are gathered around the table. They're celebrating, you know, basically what was the, the last official Pentecost and the first official Lord's Supper. 
Jesus said, all of you disciples are going to betray me. And I can imagine Jesus, uh, P- Peter pounding his fist on the table in anger, saying, the rest of these guys might do it, but not me. I will never do that. And Jesus says, Peter, before the cock throws, crows three times, you will betray me. So guess what? Jesus is arrested, taken to the high priest's house. Peter follows at a distance, gets to the courtyard. He denies one time. He denies two times. The third time, somebody confronts him again. Jesus is let out of the high priest's house. Jesus is looking at Peter. Peter's confronted a third time. Peter is denying him with oaths and curses. And Peter's eyes meet Jesus' eyes in that very moment. And he's broken and crushed. He's gutted by what happened. He realizes he's destroyed the one relationship in his life that he really values. Burst into tears. But the story's not over because the resurrection takes place. And something happens in the resurrection that was powerful for Peter. In John 21, they're gathered around the fire having breakfast with the resurrected Jesus. The whole purpose of this breakfast is to restore Peter to the place of leadership. And Jesus gives Peter a set of spiritual disciplines. Three times, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter says yes. And three times, Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Now, what was that that Jesus is doing for Peter? He's giving him a set of spiritual disciplines. The whole idea of feed my sheep involves humble, patient, kind, servant leadership. He's saying to Peter, I'm giving you this set of disciplines. I want you to engage in humble, gracious, kind leadership, spiritual disciplines. Did Peter know how to do that yet? Not really. He has the disciplines, but not the spirit. So then fast forward to the morning of Pentecost. The spirit comes. They go to the Temple Mount. They're speaking in tongues. People of different languages are hearing their language as they're speaking in tongues. And Peter gets up and he preaches boldly Christ. Here's a man who cowered before a little slave girl pointing him out in front of the high priest's house. He cowered. And you know what? Seven weeks later, he's standing in front of world leaders from all over the ancient world proclaiming Christ in a very bold way. What happened to Peter? Peter had a set of spiritual disciplines, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. When that was combined with the Spirit, there was a radical, powerful transformation. That transformation was something that was built upon throughout his entire life. What does Peter say in 1 Peter chapter 5? I urge you elders, shepherd the flock of God. 
In Peter's case, the transformation was a combination of word and spirit, discipline and devotion, doing the disciplines and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move to three takeaways for our church. How does our church aim to foster transformation over the course of this year? The first way for sure is hospitality. And what we aim to do over the course of the year 2018 is to excel in hospitality at Grace Community Church. I've said this before, but the triune God is the most hospitable being in the entire universe. He is eternally one. His eternal oneness is something that we worship him for and glorify him about. But subsisting in that eternal oneness are three persons. And the three persons of the Trinity have been in an eternal love relationship with eternal experiences of love. That God, eternally satisfied in love, invites us into the circle of his triune love. How can we do anything different? As the body of Christ, we ought to be proactively hospitable to everybody who comes into our midst. So our desire over the course of the coming year is to significantly refresh our greeter team, and to, to make this a place where when, when, Peter, when, when people come into our church building, uh, people encounter the presence of the Lord as mediated through hospitable people. So I want to commission all of you this morning, um, I commission you to be conduits of our hospitality. Whether you've been here for 10 minutes, 10 months, or 10 years, I hereby commission you to be agents of hospitality for Grace Community Church. Maybe you don't know anybody. You can still be an agent of hospitality. Maybe you don't know a soul at this church. Uh, be an agent of hospitality. Find somebody that you don't know and say, hey, tell me your name. How long have you been coming to, coming to Grace? Um, it's my desire that we have a significant experience with the Lord in the in the context of hospitality. I realize this is something that we can do the disciplines of this, but we need the Spirit to energize it. And so my big prayer is that the Holy Spirit would energize our efforts at hospitality. And when people come into grace, they would feel the presence of the triune God because we are agents of His hospitality. A second takeaway is in the area of community. We want to significantly um, uh, grow in the area of our small groups. When you look at the Great Commission in, in Matthew, it's clear that God did not call us to make small groups, but he called us to make disciples. However, he called us to make disciples in the context of community. And so we want our small groups to be discipleship within the context of community. We have a board out in the atrium and we're going to keep that board up uh, through the balance of, of the spring, uh, the winter and the spring. If you're in a small group and you meet somebody new at Grace Community Church, I would urge you to take that person over to the small group board and just say, hey, small groups are really important in our church, and we would love to have you participate in a small group. Uh, make use of that small group board. And if you're not in a small group, uh, Mike Sorensen, our small group uh, pastor, is going to be there uh, every Sunday. Um, encouraging you about small groups that uh, you, can, you can be in. We're going to ask that 
we have new small groups that are formed over the course of this coming year. That's a significant thing that we want to do as we grow into the, into the coming year. And a third takeaway, finally, is to, there, there's a small group board right there, um, is uh, relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the third takeaway is um, we want to be a church that intentionally welcomes the presence of the Spirit. Think back for a moment to the first week you were married. That first week. You had to remember, oh yeah, it's not all about me. I got somebody else that <laughs> I'm living with. I'm married to this person. I need to think about them. Remember the first time you had a child and everything was oriented toward, oh, we, we, we've got a child in the house. We have, to, we have to take care of the needs of the child. Our relationship with the Holy Spirit ought to be the same way. Our relationship with the Spirit ought to be a constant awareness of His presence and a constant desire to live in the context of His fullness. But I have to warn you, the Spirit acts unpredictably. He's like Aslan the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia. Remember, remember that Susan Pevensey said to Mr. Beaver in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she says, I wish I could do this in a British accent, but I can't. She says, is Aslan quite safe? She says, I, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. And Mr. Beaver says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You live in the fullness of the Spirit, and it is unpredictable about what he will lead you to do. That's why a lot of people don't want to live in the fullness of the Spirit. Because they don't want, they want, they don't want that sense of nervousness about what he might ask them to do. I'm urging you, be open to having fresh encounters with the Spirit. One of the th things that means is that when you come to Grace Community Church on Sunday morning, I just want to encourage you, come filled with the Spirit. In your car, on the way over here, just say, Holy Spirit, fill me. I want to be here as a conduit of your fullness. So we want to excel at God-centered hospitality over the course of this coming year. We want to excel in community over the course of this coming year, and we want to host the presence of God. And that's the topic we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray, and then we'll take communion. Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your amazing goodness to us. Lord Jesus, you said that you would not leave us as orphans, that you would send your spirit. And so we, we just welcome your presence, Holy Spirit, we welcome your, your presence, Lord Jesus, who abides with us. We welcome your presence, Abba Father. As we take communion, may you be glorified in our worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus uh, broke the bread at the Last Supper, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in memory of me. He took the cup also after supper, said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. At Grace, we take the bread, we dip it in the cup, and uh, we come kneeling just as a reminder that we come humbly into the presence of God. You come as you feel led to the communion table. If God has answered a prayer for you and you want to light a candle on your way up, 
Uh, We'd love to see you do that. Let's worship.